Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me, please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash holybackboard. You are listening to the Holy Backboard on the Sage Digital and Nothing But Net Networks. For more on your trailblazers, go to iTunes, search the Holy Backboard, and subscribe today. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 144th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, chilling here in uh, Beaverton, Oregon. Birthday, Sage. 28 for my guy. Happy birthday, bud. Thank you, man. I was looking forward to talking some hoops today, man. Just bought, a, just bought another laptop for work and shit, so I'm pretty broke, but I'm here. We, we're recording at 9.41 on Sunday night. We come up with that big energy for the birthday boy, the Blazers, 3-0 and week, home court advantage. Going to be a great, fantastic episode. The Duck men, the Duck women, Sweet 16 bound, Sage Oregon hoops is where it is at. Man, like, I try and watch the turn every time, but the fact that they can do zone defense... That shit is the reason NBA is way more popping than college. Like, oh, there, there's no doubt the NBA is so much more enjoyable to watch, but there's something about a one and done style format where you can have Cinderella story. And obviously, if your school is in there, it's it, it's def it's it's fun to watch. But make no mistake about it; it is not a better product. It is not more enjoyable. Uh, you are not going to see people hit a three pointer and get fouled like. Dame did with the game on the line last night. Uh, hands down, it is a much better product. But if you are a fan in the state of Oregon, this is peak time right now. Like the the Duck Ladies are a two seed. They are coming home. They are going to be playing uh, the Sweet Sixteen and possibly the Elite Eight at the Rose Garden on uh, this this upcoming weekend. The Duck Men have won what ten straight games after being basically left for dead and are the only Pac-12 team and the lowest seed remaining. So they are the Cinderella story. And then you have our Trailblazers, currently fourth in the Western Conference, winners of three straight, 45 and 27 overall, tied in the loss column with the Rockets for third, and they have a three-game lead in the loss column over the Clippers and the Thunder for home court advantage. Sage, our boys, took care of business at home without C.J. McCollum, three of the four games on this homestand took place this week. Portland just kind of took the wind out of Indiana sales in that second half. And uh, the score wasn't really as, as close. It, it was one of six Blazers victory. Uh, another easy victory over the Dallas Mavericks, 126, 118. And then what I thought was the most impressive win, because I thought it was going to be the most difficult game of this homestand, a 117-112, just basically prize fight back and forth bout over the Detroit Pistons, who are playing some good ball right now and, frankly, are a matchup nightmare. Sage, what 
stood out to you most during this stretch of Blazer basketball, the three and zero week? It. I wanted to talk about it later in the show, but I'm going to talk about it now. I feel like when the Blazers have a really big advantage in the game, they don't go to it early and often. They wait until like the third quarter to attack the blatant weakness on each team. Like against the Detroit Pistons, a lot of their movement was like Dame picks out somebody put in post position and then that's how they run the offense. The Pistons are one of the worst teams at pick and roll. So it's like, I like I look at these stats. I'm like, okay, there's a humongous weakness that we can attack, and then we don't attack it like early and often. It's waiting until like the last possible moment to use this high, huge advantage against teams. And it's like, damn, man, I was thinking that we'd pick and roll the Pistons to death, but execute they executed in one, so I shouldn't be upset. But it's something that I've noticed, like against Brooklyn. They allow 26 points and 20, like 16 rebounds to opposing centers. And neither, I mean, together they got it, but like I felt like Nurk probably should get that much by himself. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to see them not go to that humongous advantage until later in the game. When you look at like teams like the Pistons went Blake versus Al Farouk the entire, the entire like first three quarters and then went away from it, but like, have you noticed that when you see a huge advantage for our team, we don't take advantage? To me, I thought we played really well offensively, so I wasn't too concerned with how we were getting buckets. You look at the Blazers, only three players took more than than 10 shots. Dame, 16. Chief, 13. Nurk, 12. Uh, and you had a slew of other players shoot at least six. Zach put up six. Cantor, nine. Hood, six. Curry, nine. And Maurice Harkless seven. So I felt like the wealth was being spread. Oh, it's better. Uh, it's definitely quite better. Evenly. Yeah. And what I was more concerned about was the defensive end uh, of, of the game, because you have that third quarter when the Pistons put up 36 points, we put up 30 and we somehow lost our lead. Mm. Uh, we knew this was going to be a tough matchup because Blake Griffin, we have nobody really to defend him. No, and, and then Reggie Jackson and Thawne had ceiling games against us. Yeah, Reggie Jackson is just a, a blazer killer. For whatever reason, he always shoots the lights out against us. And they have actually Shooters. a nice core because mm-hmm. Reggie was hitting. They had Wayne Ellington, who thankfully didn't get a shot off. They have Luke Kennard, who they can bring in. And even Thawne Maker can, can come in and, and hit the three as a big. So you're really basically up uh, in, in, in a rock and a hard place if you're the Blazers trying to defend Blake Griffin you have to really strategize when and where you can double I do think the Blazers took way too long to make an adjustment mm-hmm. what I did like to see is so that they did make an adjustment they moved Dame off of Reggie Jackson put him on to Bruce Brown or Ish Smith who whatever mm-hmm. but they had Chief on Blake and then Mo on Reggie Jackson so if they went to that pick and roll those two guys were able to switch yeah. pretty evenly. And, and it's not like Bruce is going to kill you. As much as I no, love Bruce Brown, he did take three shots in the game. So it's like... No, no, no. Bruce Brown was 0 for 0. Oh, I thought... I assumed he took three bad ones. So to me, again, this felt like a playoff game where, you know, chances are we may not have a great matchup in the first round. And the Pistons, make no mistake about it, are a terrible matchup for Portland just because they have shooters... 
they have a long big in Drummond who you have to keep an eye on. Otherwise, he's a fantastic lob threat. It's weird. And like, if you look at box scores, like Drummond, missed shot. Dr- Drummond gets rebound, puts it. He gets his own rebounds, and the fact that we kept him under his average is pretty fucking amazing. Because that dude well, loves Eden. Shout out to Nurk. I mean, yeah. he was the one. He shadowed Drummond basically at all costs, and I think I read it on Sports too. But um, the signing of Ennis Cantor, I think, really helped this game because Dwayne Casey kept Andre Drummond in the entire second half. He played almost thirty nine minutes. And both Cantor and Nurk really did yeoman's work on the glass, especially Cantor down the stretch. I mean, his offensive putbacks really kept us afloat. But back to the defense, Portland just needed to be a little bit more active. And when they finally started jumping some passing lanes and taking some risks and not just letting Detroit operate in in their free-flowing mm. offense um, with really no, you know— Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They didn't put up any sort of a fight. They just kind of let them walk into their yeah, offense. Yeah, no resistance. Last, yeah, no. thank you. Exactly the word I was looking for. I mean, it's like we podcasted 144 times. <laughs> we finally took some risks, and it paid off. And, and the run, it, it just it started to flow. So I'm thankful that we made those adjustments because that's what Terry Stotts and the coaching staff is going to have to do. I would say, and we're going to talk about this, later on in the episode, but when we play Detroit again, I want to see Zach Collins get a look on, on Blake Griffin. Yes. Chief had a fantastic offensive game, but he can't guard Blake one-on-one and Blake is having a fantastic, I think he's got to get third team all NBA. I mean, he, he's been that good this year. I mean, he's, he has a bounce to a step. He's added the three-point shot to his his game. He's taken people off the dribble. He can still bully you, bully you down. I think this might be a good test to see a litmus test. Like, where is Zach Collins at? I don't expect him to shut Blake down, but at least give him another look. He has more length, and I think that could bother him a bit. What do you think? Well, Blake has had probably the worst month he's had in a while. And then he goes out for 27. Like, in the last uh, two weeks, he's only hit uh, 25 times, 20 point, 25 points one time before that game. So, like, he was having struggle. He was on that struggle bus, and then he went up against Chief and kind of got, got his shit right. He looked good. Like, so I think Chief isn't good at defending those really big skilled power forwards like the Blake Griffins of the world or the type of big like Julius Randle who is just bully ball 100% of the time. I think there is times where Chief can do just fine against like a normal stretch four, but I think his days as being a starting power forward in this league might be numbered just because he's getting exposed against bigger, stronger guys. Yeah, I mean, he really should be defending threes. Yeah, or if, like stretch force, like a Nico Meritich, I would be fine with. But like, you can't expect him to go against Blake Griffin for for thirty six minutes and do like do a draw. That's tough, man. Huh? Absolutely. The best thing I saw this week was Damian Lillard. I mean, you look at a player who sees his running mate in the backcourt go down. He's out Monday again against the Brooklyn Nets. I think they're still in the process of of reevaluating him for that, that knee strain, but he's been a different 
but even I, I would say more deadly Damian Lillard over this three game stretch. You look against the Pacers, 30 points, 15 assists, 9 of 16 shooting, and becomes only the second Blazer in NBA history to have a 30-15 game. Against Dallas, 33-12, and 12, five boards. Again, 9 of 18 from the field, 6 of 12 from downtown. And then against Detroit, 28 points, 9 of 16 from the field, 6 of 10 from downtown, 9 dimes, 6 rebounds. He is starting to make teams pay for double teaming him. His vision has increased. And Terry Stotts was asked this question, have you noticed a, a different maybe approach or a different feel to Damon? He said, no, he's always been doing this. That maybe the ball gets, you know, maybe spread around the floor a couple more times, like essentially a hockey assist. I would say that Terry's never going to put an, even if it, wasn't meant to put Dame down. I don't think he would ever say, no, Dame's playing different. So I would disagree with Terry. I have seen Dame make an effort, not necessarily even an effort. His vision has just gotten better. I mean, he has had some incredible passes. He had a sick wraparound um, to Zach Collins in the Indiana game, which was just beautiful. I mean, he, he has been dissecting the pick and roll, uh, just the cutters. He has been, it just feels like he's taken more, command and I don't know if that's a process uh you know I don't know if that is the you know the fruit of CJ not being there so he has the ball in his hands yeah more. He, he has a usage rate of James Harden now the ball is in his head be, I think I yeah. think that's what the Blazers need because he's that fucking good and when CJ's gone that's 20% of the t- like the possessions in the game go to him either an assist a made back exit or a turnover take 20% and give it to everyone else who's actually a willing passer, and the offense sort seems to be a lot better just because there's more fluidity in the thing, in the in the game. But it's all on Dame being that usage monster now. I don't want him to do this in December, but I'm totally cool with him just taking that James Harden usage rate and doing beautiful, beautiful things with the ball. I mean, our offense is definitely more open. Because there's a ball stopper that's not on the floor anymore. You replace it with, you know, willing passers and you see what happens. We look pretty damn good. Not like not talking shit about CJ's like abilities, but he is a ball stopper in the offense. He try, he, he needs to get buckets. That's what he's on the floor for. So he's going to try and get them. And sometimes him getting those buckets and those baskets take away from those. Those people that, you know, need those extra like catch and shoot baskets to be good. I would say it's too early for the are the Blazers better without CJ McCollum conversation to take place. We played three teams. Yeah, it's a small home, sample size. Small sample size. But I would say this has been the rallying cry for those in favor of moving CJ and getting some more help uh, at the forward position because you have guys like Rodney and Seth who can shoot the ball a little bit more catch and shoot. Mm-hmm. And you've got Dame now looking more like uh, a lead guard. He just, he just looks incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think it is because he has the ball in his hands more like the, the decisions that he's making are, are perfect 
And when you have a guy like that who you can trust and he's able to shoot as well as he is, and again, I don't expect him to shoot 50% every game throughout the rest of the season, but he is on a hot streak. But it's it's been his passing and his court vision that I've been so impressed by. And I, I don't think it's – I think the passes have been better. I will say, like, I, I really mm-hmm. see – And they're making it. They're making it. Yeah. The, the yeah. So I don't. I don't. I don't think it's like oh, two weeks ago he was making the same passes and they're not. They're not hitting. It's not like he's just passing catch and shoot for threes. He is finding guys on the cut on mm. the pick and roll. Like his vision has been outstanding. And so I would say the way Dame is playing has validated those people in favor of moving moving column and. Before we go any further, I, I want CJ back in, in in the lineup. I I hope we have him for the playoffs. We're going to need him for the playoffs. I mean, we're not saying the Blazers are better without CJ McCollum because you're not getting anything in return for him right now. It's just like Blazers minus CJ, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make the team any better. But it will be interesting to see what happens when CJ comes back. Do we still get the same dominant Damian? Or are they going to try and, and share the roles a little bit as they have over the past four seasons? And to me, playoff performance is going to dictate everything. Mm-hmm. Well, since these stats are wrong now, but this is what I posted on March 20th. Dame has a 40% usage rate and a 35% assist rate without CJ on the floor. And that's like a 10% usage bump and a 5% assist bump. So obviously Damien is going to beast without CJ. It's just more ball for more possessions for him to be Damien Lillard at. I think yeah, it, it's all on playoffs. It's every bit is playoff basketball. So what is going to happen when the game slows down? I think it will help us a lot to have CJ on the floor to so teams can't just focus all of their energy on stopping Dame at the perimeter. When CJ comes back, who's in your playoff rotation? Dame, CJ, Seth, Mo, Aminu, Layman, Hood. Um, did I say Aminu yet? Yep. Okay. Nurk, Enos, Zach as a pivot if it's a good if it's like a really good uh, offensive big. Yeah. For me right now, you have your starters, you have Cantor. I think it has to be Zach Collins. He has shown me a lot that this, this stretch, I think his defense has been incredible that he had another chase down block against the Pacers, which ignited the crowd. Uh, Seth Curry has been lights out and, and Rodney hood. Those are your four. And you're just gonna have to bite the bullet with Damon CJ running point, or you know. Yeah, I I hate to say it, but I think Jake Lehman is playing himself out of the rotation right now, and Evan Turner he is gonna be in the rotation. I I am not. It's what we want, not what's gonna it's happen. Exactly, Evan Turner needs to be far on the bench. Like I, Olga and I were watching that Detroit game, and it was just excruciating to watch some of the passes that he tries to make. He has no impact on the game on the offensive end of the floor. He had a quarter of our team's turnovers. He had three turnovers in 13 minutes. Didn't score a single point. I mean, come the fuck on. Like this is, this is my complaint with Terry Stotts. You see a guy not getting it done, hurting your team. He has not had a good season this year. 
he should not be playing. Bottom line. Zach Collins, on the other hand, has had his ups and downs, but he is on the rise right now, and he is that type of big with length that can move on the perimeter and give us a defensive element that we just don't have at that position outside of Yusuf Nurkic. And Nurk really can't guard the fours. I Mm. mean, Zach has an ability to do a little bit of both. And I don't mean to be hard on Evan. Like, I'm not attacking him as a person. I think he does wonders for that locker room. But watching him drives me goddamn crazy, Sage. Mm. You know, there's a play that sticks out in my mind even a day after. Do you remember when Ish Smith stole the pass at, like, half court and dribbled it all by himself for a layup without, like, any... Any like stopping or hesitating, just stole the ball, ran directly to the hoop. Mm-hmm. You know how jealous I was that Ish Smith <laughs> just pulled that shit off. Like, like when's the last time we had a dude that reads the passing lane, steals the ball, runs it up himself? That I mean, that's why I think if you are the Blazers, you really need to target a backup point guard. Ish in, Smith would be fine. Yeah, in free agency, like, we cannot continue to trot out Evan Turner. I, He's I, I slower don't... too. He will never do what Ish Smith did on that play, which helped the. I mean, it helped the Pistons immensely. Like it that that effort play, like those those shits matter. And Ish Smith did that. How many points do you think Evan Turner scored in this on this homestand? Three I, games. I, oh shit! I don't even. Uh, is it below ten? Oh, it's much below ten. I was gonna say seven. Four points. Goddamn! How many assists? Because I was looking and. I was looking at the advanced stats, and Evan Turner has six the assists. six assists. Damn! So that assist to turnover ratio is bad. So Evan Turner averages the highest turnover percentage, and just think about how much Damian he averages ten percent more turnovers than Damian, and just think about how much more Damian has the ball in his hands. Four the- points, <laughs> six assists, five turnovers. <sighs> even wipe away the seventeen million dollars. If that's not even minimum contract salary contributions. This guy is hurting us on the floor, and I would rather we have somebody else. Like I think, I, I think you're right. We do need to stagger Damon CJ in the playoffs. One of those guys has to be on the floor at, at all times, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, like, fuck it. I'm going to do the second thing I wanted to do today. Um, I'm looking at minutes played. And we're going to go through every player outside of Dame and Nurk. And you tell me the percentage chance that they're on our team next year at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. So CJ McCollum, do you think he's a blazer at the end of next season? The end of next season? Mm-hmm. And what is the percent chance you think he is? There is a 70% chance he is on the team. Okay. Al Farouk Amino, do you think he's on the team next year? I think Chief is probably at 65%. And what type of contract would it be? Just like a, is it like a multiple year or like one big year contract? One big year contract. No, I think we'll probably get him for another. He's still pretty young. He's under 30. I think he's 28 right now. If he has a good postseason. So again, if if we lose in the first round and it's because teams just double dame and Chief breaking threes, he will not be back. I I don't think that's going to happen. Knock on wood, but the Blazers are going to have to be very tricky in how they maneuver the salary cap because mm-hmm. if they want Cantor or Hood back, they have to use their mid-level, and that would could possibly mean 
you know, do they delay signing off Rukuminu? Do they, you know, do they, do they try to do other things to get under the cap? I, I really don't know how it, how it all works in its intricacies, but we do have chiefs bird rights. I know Dame, Dame loves him. Um, I, I have to th- assume that Zach Collins is being groomed to be that four, mm-hmm. but I think you can still get three more years out of chief. I, I don't think he gets more than eight mil a year. What, what he's getting right now. Maybe like, uh, Maybe like a raise of a hundred percent or something, but not crazy. Maybe descending salary. Possibly. It, again, it all depends on po- I, every outside of Damian Lillard. Mm. Everything depends on the postseason performance. We're keeping Nurk regardless. He's making eleven million per year and yeah, is a top Nurk, five. Center. The only way Nurk gets moved is if you're able to get Anthony Davis. Evan Turner, do you think he will be on the team? At the end of next year. Hmm. No. I, I think Neil Olshay moves him at the deadline. Because he's expend like he's a expiring humongous contract. Yes. Seth Curry, do you think he stays? And he is the sixth most played player. I think Seth at the moment is playing himself into a lot of money. He has a player option. Uh, I don't. We like he's another player. We do not have bird rights on, and we if we want to bring him back, we'll have to sign him to the mid level. Um, just because he's playing so well, and it is a, a bad problem. It is a good problem to have. I think he's going to play himself into a better contract. So I, I give Seth thirty three percent. I think there's a one in three shot that that we bring Seth. I can back definitely see a team that sees what he does, and he's played the sixth most amount on the team so he's definitely played the minutes but right now he's killing it and they can see like oh this is the sixth man off the bench that can light it up I think Zach Collins is staying Maurice Uh, unless unless you see Anthony Davis like Zach Collins is is probably going to be staying All right, Maurice Harkless with 1066 minutes the 8th most played player 368 points scored in the season. Do you think he is on the team at the end of next year? Because he's under contract for next, but could you see them moving him at the deadline because he isn't expiring? Do you think Terry Stotts and Neil Shea see him as someone who could, you know, mentor Jake Lehman? What do you think about Jake uh, or of Maurice Harkless's prospects for staying around the entire next year? 90%. Damn. It's going to be an Alfred Camino situation where he's expiring, but you don't really have any. You don't really have any better options. You already have other expiring deals to move. He has improved his game, but you, his game—it's like it's very you, formulaic of how he you produces. Roll the dice. You roll the dice with Maurice Harkless. All right, we're keeping Jake because he paid so little, right? But as we discussed on, a couple, I think, like three or four podcasts ago, his contract is going way, way, way down. He might be making like four or five. I don't think he's going to command the eight we were thinking earlier. Like, no. Nah. I really hope, and I was thinking this, I really hope he's not Pat, Pat Connaughton 2.0, where Pat came out like gangbusters, had a few good games, and then just kind of went back to mediocrity. I'm a little worried about Jake. I know he 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 busted out in, in the Dallas game during the, the second half, but... um. He he needs for someone with such a pretty jump shot. He needs to to knock that down. Like he he really needs to get more consistent. And he's starting. He he's getting enough looks. Um, 
I will say the one positive of Evan Turner playing is he has that connection to mm-hmm. Jake, but that 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 connection doesn't out outweigh what Evan Turner does everywhere else. Do you so. think there's a chance Jake Lehman becomes one of those mid-tier small forwards that just eat minutes and can explode for like two weeks at a time and then just go back to eating a bunch of minutes and producing like seven points? So the Jeremy okay. Lynn small forwards? Oh, uh, damn, don't say that to my pleasure. True, but I think Jeremy Lin has showed that he's better than mid-tier point, but I, I guess. I think a mid-tier point guard. There's no way he's above mid-tier. Before I the think injury. I aptly described what you just fine, said. Fine, fine, fine. We don't have to argue. But do you think that's a, there's a chance that Jake Lehman could become that? I think he's already there. I I think he has a high ceiling. I, I want to bring Jake back. I, I say 95% chance Jake's okay. back. What about Myers Leonard? He would be expiring, so if yeah, the Blazers I, I, wanted to take on, like, you know, if we wanted to give people cap relief and take on an asset, he'd be a pretty damn good person to have. You know, it's kind of I wish that we had more $5 million players, because we have tens, like, we have a bunch of $10 million players, but if we were to take on, like, an asset who's like the team just doesn't want to pay his contract anymore. It'd be nice to have like $3 million players, $5 million players, seven, nine, ten, so that we could attain whoever we wanted at the deadline next year. But do you think Myers Leonard is on the team at the end of this next year? 40% chance. Do you think we would sign him after the summer? Maybe for like a one or $2 million deal. Like I think he's, He's a really good third third center. All right. Rodney Hood, who has played the 12th most amount of minutes at 400 minutes already. Do you mm. think we keep him? Like Seth, I'm going to go 33%. I think there's a one in three chance. The, the salary cap makes it really difficult. We'd have to use our MLE. And I haven't been disappointed in Rodney. I've been slightly underwhelmed. And we discussed this on the podcast Last week, I thought it was going to be him instead of Seth Curry, who was going to really take off with CJ out. But it's been the opposite. And I think Curry is more consistent. I think you can see Rodney blow up for games, but I can also see him go three for 12. Seth will provide more consistency with less explosiveness. And he played, you know, pretty well. Over the course of these three games, I mean, you look, he had 11 points, 5 of 10 shooting. That That's 50%, obviously, against the, the Indiana Pacers, against the Mavericks, 3 of 5 shooting for 8 points. And then against the Pistons, you know, not a great performance, 5 points, 2 of 6, missed 2 wide open threes. Um, I don't know. I love his ability to back down smaller guards. I just wish he was a little bit better shooting the 3. I would love if we could have Rodney Hood back, but I just don't see there. There's not a way to get Rodney and Ennis. Mm-hmm. And right now, I think Ennis has been the bigger impact guy. And I think Gary Trent Jr. is going to be a player that's going to take minutes. Whoever Seth or Rodney, or, or if they both leave, Gary's going to be able to step in and play 10 to 12 minutes next year. So Rodney, I'll give him a one in – I think there's maybe like a 25%. Even, I'll say 25% chance Rodney Hood's on the team. I I, I want to 
If the decision for me was between Enos and Rodney Hood, I would pick Rodney Hood because of positional scarcity. Because right now, there's a bunch of power forwards and centers that are skilled that are going to be really cheap in the free agency. I would rather spend the money that I had if, to keep a guy on a guy that's small forward shooting guard. That's where, like, if you're, if you're that position, you have scarcity. So I would rather go and get a, you know, spend money on a, like, Ed Davis or Thad Young or one of those type of bigs than spend, try and find another Rodney Hood. Cause I think there's just less Rodney Hoods in the game. That's a valid, that's a valid argument. It didn't sway me, but but it, it's it's a valid. <laughs> Thank argument. you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I just really love the yes, yes, he's got his defense need needs work, but he is relentless on the glass. I think he, he is very skilled down low. He gives this team a legitimate scoring threat on the second unit, which is so necessary, especially down low. So not only are you able to dump it in and just get easier buckets that way, but he's got good hands around the rim. So he's a a great, just, you know, lob, not lob threat in the sense of he's going to dunk it like DeAndre, but you can dump it off to him and he's going to not fumble it out of bounds. He's a a quality free throw shooter. He's a rebounder, especially on the offensive end of the, of the floor. I just love what we have gotten from him since he, since he has came. Uh, He needs to finish a little bit better around the rim for, for my liking. And I think he'll get there, but to have him and Nurk, and so that's another reason he is Yusuf Nurkic insurance. Mm. So if, if, you know, knock on wood, but if Nurk goes down for a, a week or two, we'll, we'll be okay. Obviously we'll lose a lot on the defensive end, but there's a reason Nurk's a starter and Cantor comes mm. off the bench. So to me, Cantor is so important. And I, I, I will say, I think we find a way to bring him back. I think he loves it here. I, I would say 80, 80% chance we, we bring Anis back. Okay. And that would be that was gonna be the next person who's played two hundred and fifty six minutes in the, since the trade deadline. Um obviously we keep our young guns at Anthony Simons and Gary Trent, but do you care about Scott Lavissier at all? Or do you think we can find another big like him in the garbage heap? It's secondhand information, but I think somebody said I think it was uh John Lacrofka said like he's been doing well in practice and yes pr- take take that with with a grain of salt practice is practice whatever it is but i don't think they would have traded caleb swan again and take it on taken on a little extra salary just to cut bait i think he is another summer league project see what you got uh he could be the reason myers instead of being 40 percent back like they're just they're just going to trade him at the deadline next year because they think scal is going to be that that third big he has touch uh, he just needs a situation. I don't know, though, if Portland is that situation. Yeah, because yeah. We have Yusuf and Ennis. He can't play four. We have Zach, who can play four and five. It, it's a very crowded front court. And again, that's not even mentioning Myers Leonard. So I do think he'll be back. I would go as high as, you know, 90%. I mean, he's... Uh, but I don't, know if, I don't know if he makes it longer than next season. Yeah. I mean... Might as well kick on. He was a blue chip prospect coming out of Kentucky. Like he was definitely skilled. I remember thinking he was a unicorn, the type of guy that can shoot threes and then defend the post. Like that's pretty, pretty amazing to have. And if we could, you know, develop him, that's a real nice key, a nice feather in the cap of the Blazers training staff. So I, I, I would, 
The only real difference is the Enos to Hood conversation in my mind, just because of the lack of skill at small forward and the huge depth of skill at center and power forward. Yeah, what I would say is outside of Dame and Nurk and the rookies, don't get too attached. I think no matter what the Blazers do this postseason, the way they are you know, over that tax line and the types of players they brought in contractually, uh, it, it just – the nature of the beast is it's going to be quite a bit of change, especially on, at the role-player level, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just – I mean – This group of 15 guys or 18 guys that have played actual minutes will never play on this team again, like with this straight of guys. So if you really love Rodney Hood or Cantor or whatever, enjoy these next 10 games because there's a good chance that one of those guys will not be here next year. And it's just Cantor's on a very cheap contract and he's going to get paid like a thousand percent more most likely so there's just there's just like contractual things that we won't be able to keep and it's about whoever the new gm is or the same gm is making that choice of who do we keep for that next year yeah and also realizing people see how well other players see how well ennis Cantor has done in portland as a buyout candidate Mm -hmm. if portland continues to have a strong playoff performance a good year next year there's going to be more Ennis Cantors on the buyout market. We will always continue to be that. If we're successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're successful. I think it starts with Ennis. And yes, mm-hmm. it was the first time it really happened. But who says that it, it really has to be the last? And so I think Portland is going to have to utilize their expiring contracts, the draft, and they'll have to make a choice in, in free agency. I don't think they're going to be a player for any other other players. I think they're going to try and decide who do we want to keep on our team because we'll have to use our mid-level exception to go after and get those guys. But looking ahead to this current iteration of the Blazers, it's playoff watching has been very difficult for me because of the flip-flop at top. You mm-hmm. have the Warriors and the Nuggets. Uh, Denver got shellacked in Indiana tonight. So after being at number one for a night, they are back at number two. And to me, that is more important than anything else because you want to avoid the Golden State Warriors at all costs mm-hmm. until the Western Conference Finals. And the Warriors, you don't know what team is going to show up. I think they lost by damn near 40 points to the Dallas Mavericks. Dirk put up 21, and it was like they hit the the rewind button and went back 10 years. But then they rest Cousins. And they they handle the Pistons. Yes, the Pistons were on a back-to-back, but it's just an an odd group right now because they don't give a shit. They're just ready for the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And if you're Portland, you're fighting now with Houston. Like, you're both at 27 losses. Yes, Portland has the tiebreaker, but Houston has been winning some very impressive games, and Harden has been putting up historical numbers so to me, I feel like Portland has a better chance at staying at four, but I don't see Denver getting up to one. I think it's going to end up being Blazers at four, Warriors at one. Not ideal, but at this point, Portland can only control what they can mm-hmm. control. Scenario for you, Sage, would you rather the Blazers get to play the Clippers in the first round 
but you know the Warriors are coming in the second round if they win, or you have to play OKC Utah, and you know Denver is going to be in the second round. What would you choose? I would take the Clippers because that that is a much better chance at getting to the second round. You got to win the series before you can think about you know what's next. So the Clippers provide a much easier path to the second round. So I would take that, even though. You know, we match up with the best team ever. At least we make it to the second round. The other choice that you gave me, there's a good chance we lose. So I would take the guaranteed second round berth. It, it's tough. I just think, and we just talked about this, this is the last time that all of these guys will play on the same team together. Yes, I mean, it's just inevitable. Someone's going to move free agency, et, et cetera. We're going to add a new rookie next year. So every team is always different. Talent-wise, this team could be the second best in the Western Conference. As a fan, I haven't tasted the Western Conference Finals in 19 years. Mm-hmm. Even though we lost 4-0 to the Thunder, Paul George is not the same Paul George. The Utah Jazz, in Dustin's fan lifetime, have never won a game in Portland in the playoffs. Fucking give me the Thunder, the Spurs, the Jazz, whoever. Let's beat them. Let's kick Denver's ass in the second round, and let's go play Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. To me, that would be an incredible season. The second round would be a successful and incredible season as well. But just because I've seen how the West is shaping up right now, there is a legitimate chance this team could find themselves in the Final Four of the NBA playoffs. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of in the – we're in Dame's prime right now. Go big or go home. I do, honestly. If we if we played the Thunder, the playoff starts tomorrow, I would take us. Throw the regular season out the door. Hmm. I, I get where you're coming from, but I would take the, the, the more sure of a thing. I mean, the Clippers just like we could we could body that team. Yeah, oh, we most certainly would. That's like a guaranteed, not guaranteed. It's a very likely chance that we would get the second round berth. Yours has more reward at the end, and I will give you that. But mine's more of a sure thing. I would also say playing the clip, again, we're, we're obviously putting the cart way in front of the horse here. But if we were to play the Clippers, and if things were to go as planned, which that's not a guarantee it is the postseason, but I don't know if playing the Clippers would teach us very much about this team. If we're looking to figure out what the, and that, I, again, I don't think playing the Warriors is going to teach you much about this team just because of the the talent gap. Yes, we, we may make it a series and that's how we find out about this team. But I, I think we find out what Portland is made off made of in the playoffs. If, if they face OKC or Utah, I mean, it's a team that may not have the best matchup, but you're going to have to go into some tough places and get a victory. You're going to have to protect your home court. I think that really lets us know where this team at, where this team is at in the, the hierarchy uh, of the Western Conference. I mean, we, we all know we would beat the Clippers. Mm. I would take Portland in five. I would, yeah, five sounds good, but I, I, I think there's a chance that it would be a sweep. But uh, yeah. And that again, that would be fucking amazing. And then, you know, obviously we would play Golden State. But after seeing 
last year. I, I want to see what we can do. I actually have a question that doesn't re- It sort of kind of does. What do you think about revenge narrative in the NBA? In today's NBA? Yeah. It's, I mean, nearly dead. There, there really is no rivals anymore. No, no, no. Like, let's say, um, Milwaukee's playing the Suns. People on Twitter and then even like analysis, people like in broadcasting would talk about, well, Eric Bledsoe's going to do really well because of the revenge narrative. What do you think about that as like a way of talking and breaking down games and matchups? It really has to be a special case. Mm-hmm. And even then you get to use it one time because after, I mean, I think Russell Westbrook would even say this after the first time he played Kevin Durant, once Durant left, the first time was probably he was extra amped. After that, it just becomes another game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's weird because people talk about it like, you know, like I, I've even heard, well, Wes Matthews has a revenge narrative against Portland or something like that. But it's like, Wes Matthews has a revenge narrative against everybody because nobody fucking drafted him. He, yeah. I mean, he went undrafted. Yeah. So technically, he has a revenge factor against the Indiana Pacers, too. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a weird thing in, like, today's analysis where people talk about it and bring it up. But sometimes, like, if someone goes and gets the bag from another team, they'll use revenge narrative as a way that he will amp up production. And it's just like, sort of... It could be a factor, but I don't think it is the factor for performance against, like, a team that, you know, traded you or something. Twitter and broadcasting cultures to bring up all these revenge narratives. I was wondering what you thought of it. Who is your, so, question for you. Okay. Who is your first team All-NBA? Dame, Harden, Giannis, Jokic. thinking of another forward paul george but that regression you know it's tough because yeah he ha- he's had a real regression this last part of the yeah, year but he's, but he's a- produced so much this year that it probably is him it That's might my- be Kawhi. i don't know i would i would still give it to paul paul's been fantastic yeah but the, that that's my five too and i i, I would i'm not going to be surprised if curry gets the first team all nba nod just because of you know what he's accomplished but he's but been hurt a look, lot though if you look at the warriors 50 and 23 they're only four games ahead of portland they play a team of five former all-stars two former hall of famers and they're not really treating the regular season with any sort of care mm. and then you've got dame playing with no all-stars no former mvps and has got the blazers who m- many predicted would frankly miss the postseason eyeing for home court advantage once again and putting the team on his back with the second or third best player injured at the moment. So I really hope the the writers and media members who who vote on this take that into consideration because I've just seen people, a lot of people just like lock in Curry and no, Dame is playing better basketball than, 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 than Steph, mm-hmm. quite frankly. I think both he and Durant have been just kind of They've been fighting the, each other for usage. Yeah, they're just going through the motions and you know, yeah, they'll they'll take turns having, you know, a big night here and there, but overall, 
Dame carries so much more weight on his shoulders, and I think he needs to be rewarded for that because I didn't like the narrative last year that Dame only got first team at All-NBA because Curry was injured. No, Curry plays with a fucking stacked team, and if you're going to play with guys like that, you should be putting up even better numbers than you are because you're not getting doubled. The best defender most nights isn't being thrown at you. It's If the best defender on the opposition happens to be a point guard, yeah, then you'll see him, but that's only the case on a game-by-game basis. And that, like, defensive positionality, like, the only real position where if you're that position, the opposing position will defend you is center. Like, that's really the only thing. When you're a guard or a wing, that best person, if you're the best person on the team, you're going to see the best defender on the perimeter. And that could be a point guard, shooting guard, or small forward. And with the Warriors, you have to choose between which poison are you going to let, you know, hurt you. Are you going to let Curry? Are you going to let KD? Are you going to let Clay? So they have, you have to, like, the opposing team has options on how they're going to try to use their limited resources to stop you. With the Blazers, it's really, all right, we're putting our best guy in Dame, our second best guy in CJ, and then hope to God our third guy is big enough to so Mo Harkless can't bully ball him in the post. And that's how you stop the perimeter. Can we also talk about how improved Dame's defense has been this year? It's been a lot better. It definitely has been. It's been pretty freaking good. I have been so impressed with his defense, given the load that he has to carry on the offensive end of the floor. Exactly, yeah. Uh, dude is just unreal. We are so fortunate to have him in Rip City. I mean, this homestand, a lot of the times, has just been the case of we have Damian Lillard and you just simply do not. Yeah, you have Darren Collison or fucking Reggie Jackson or, uh... Devin Harris. So, take a seat on the floor and let Dame shoot a three over you. I wouldn't mind Devin Harris as our backup point guard, just... I mean, anybody over Evan Turner... Uh, let's break down the upcoming week of games, but first a quick break from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by vinyl me, please join the record of the month club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash Holy backboard. You are listening to the Holy backboard on the Sage digital and nothing but net networks for more on your trailblazers. Go to iTunes, search The Holy Backboard, and subscribe today. All right, everybody. Welcome back to The Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here, ready to look at the upcoming slate of games. Sage, just 10 games left on the docket for the Trailblazers and only four remaining the friendly confines of the Rose Garden. Up first, Monday night. Shabazz Napier and Ed Davis return. Alan Crabb as well. The Brooklyn Nets come to town. Then Portland heads out for the the last extended road trip of the season. We will talk about three of those four games. Wednesday at Chicago. Friday at Atlanta. Saturday back-to-back at Detroit against those pesky Pistons. Sage, it's likely the Blazers will be without C.J. McCollum for the next week of games as well. Damian Lillard even mentioned that he believes that CJ should rest and they don't expect to have him for the rest of the regular season, hoping for a return in the postseason. Let's kick things off first with the Brooklyn Nets. This is a team that Portland uh, beat pretty recently. It was the first of that seven game road trip, uh, 113 to 99 in Brooklyn. Ennis Cantor had a huge impact in his first game 
as a member of the Trailblazers. Uh, 18 and 9 on 8 of 9 shooting. What do we know about the Brooklyn Nets, Sage? They are the worst. Well, okay. They are the best possible matchup for opposing Vegas to get absolutely biz. Did you know that uh, JaVale McGee got a 30 and 20 game against them the last time the Lakers and Nets played? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm upset at how much Nurk produced against them. It should have been a lot more. Well, Ennis did biz. Yeah. I wanted them both to do a lot more. That's why I went into the whole thing of they don't take advantage of the fucking humongous mismatch at the start of the game. Anyway, um, yeah. So they're still awful defensively against Biggs. So Nurk and Enos en- en- should definitely dominate that matchup. They got, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie back. So it, lo- it, it seems like, uh, Karis Levert has taken a real backseat to him and it's, uh, D'Lo getting like a shitload of usage, then uh, Spencer Diddy getting the second most, and then Levert is kind of cast to the side with like poor boy usage. So it's like what we have to worry about is D'Lo going off Spencer and then just stopping the three point shooting that they have in Joe Harris and Damari Carroll and Kruk Rose and Ron Hollis Jeffs playing more minutes. They just have a lot of bodies to throw at you, but we have Damian Lillard, they don't. I think that is the big key and us dominating the post. Yeah, I, I look for Ennis to do work once again. I think the Blazer bench will propel Portland in this one. I think Jake is going to get back into his groove. I think they have some slightly smaller guards mm-hmm. that hopefully Rodney can take advantage of. And... This I, I, Seth Curry, to me, has really came into his own. Yes, he did not have a single point in the second half of the Pistons, but he has 16 in the first half. And anytime you can get 16 points off of your bench, you take that. So it's going to be close. I agree with you. We need to keep them off the three-point line. I, I think we cannot let D'Angelo get into a groove early on. I think we need to make life a little bit rough. For him, in whatever you do, do not leave Joe Harris open. Mm-hmm. So they, I, think, I think Nurk has a big night. I think Dame. I think Dame probably goes for another fifteen assists. I don't think he gets thirty. I don't think he needs to get. No, 30. he doesn't need to get thirty. But I he think needs he's to let his big boys eat. Close game. I think the Blazers dominate this game in the paint. Mm-hmm. Uh, gobble up a lot of rebounds. It's going to be emotional. Uh, Ed Davis and Baz, you know, returning, but. The Blazers seem, you know, knock on wood, they seem like like they're locked in. So finish the home standoff strong. I like the Portland Trailblazers. Oh, same here. Starting that road trip, you have the Chicago Bulls first and foremost. Bulls Robin are eliminated. Lopez's Chicago Bulls. Robin Lopez. They are eliminated from playoff contention, 21 and 53. Just nine wins. They have three more wins on the road than they do at home. Nine and 28 at home. They have lost three of their last, or they're three and seven in their last 10 games. This road trip scares me to death because it, there's not a lot of uh, bangers on there in terms of you're not playing the Bucks, the Raptors, the 76ers. No. Like, so we're going to play down to Zach Levine and Lori Markin, who struggled, and Robin Lopez, who gets 35 minutes starting for the fucking Bulls. So this is a game. I mean, the Jazz just went into. Chicago, and I think they won something like 113 to 84. I mean, they they put it on mm-hmm. the Bulls. I think this is a game where 
Zach Levine is kind of like Tim Hardaway Jr. in yep. the sense that he can, he can get hot and he's very athletic. He has the ability to shoot the three, the ability to get to the ball, the ball to the bucket. And he can he I think he's already burst out for 40 plus on a couple of occasions, at least once this season. So like the Nets, you have to find the guys that can do a lot of damage and don't give them any confidence early. I think the key to this game is a quick start. And the key to a quick start is Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic doing what we do best. Um, you know, I think if we're focused, we win this game. But um, it's, it's just it's tough because we played the Pelicans without Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis and one Moore. And it, they took us down to the wire, essentially. I mean, it wasn't until like the last six minutes of the game that we kind of were able to breathe. And Julius Randle carried that torch for the Pelicans, just like Markkanen or Levine can do for the Chicago Bulls. So Zach Levine was out yesterday's game with a thigh contusion, and then Otto Porter was out um, yesterday as well with a shoulder. Are we saying they're going to be tanking even more? Day to day. But, like, why why even try and uh, play when, like, every win negatively affects you um so if zach levine's out it's ryan arcadiacino and uh shaquille harrison uh god damn it i got both those names right uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) ryan can play defense and sort of score he's kind of like the point guard version i knew that Archie Diakonu was on the Bulls because I had to beat him out for playing time in my in my uh, my career for 2K. <laughs> so I had to watch him play basketball. He plays defense better than you'd expect and doesn't do a lot in the minutes that he plays, but he plays a lot of minutes. <laughs> this team's awful. We should beat them, but you know the Blazers are going to fuck with our emotions at one point in the game and let the the team back in. The if Zach Levine's out, what, who you got to worry about is Laurie Marketing. He's kind of struggled recently, but he still shoots like 20 point times a game. So he's the one guy you really have to worry about. If Otto's back, you get, can't let him get any free shots. Chris Dunn struggled mightily. I think the recipe is the same. Ennis and Nurk do business down low. Dame takes control of the game throughout. Like He needs to be the conductor. If he needs to score... So be it. If he needs to distribute, do that. I I think the Blazers handle business. Um, hopefully, it is not a nail biter, but they absolutely need to beat the Chicago Bulls. Would you take Rolo back on like a like a team friendly deal? Would you take him back to be our backup center? Uh, maybe. That is not a convincing maybe, but okay, and. W- we play the Pistons next? No. So the next so the reason Portland needs to handle the business against Brooklyn at home and Chicago to start the road trip is because the next three games, we'll only talk about two, but the next three, Atlanta, Detroit, and Minnesota, <sighs> all are very, very tricky. The Atlanta Hawks uh just knocked off the Houston Rockets. Did John Collins look fantastic against yeah, us? No, excuse me. It was the Utah Jazz that they beat. So They've been playing teams extremely tough in Atlanta. Obviously, the city of Atlanta, like Miami, can be undefeated oh, when, God damn right. yeah. when, when opposing teams come in there. So Portland needs to be focused. And they're 15-22 and 22 at home. They have won two straight. 
Again, they're eliminated from playoff contention, but don't tell that to Trey Young, who has aspirations of becoming the rookie of the year. Mm-hmm. And this kid looks fucking legit. fantastic. Yeah, he's legit. He played his ass off in Portland, and that was the game that Dame didn't play. CJ had the triple-double. So as you mentioned, opposing point guards can get biz on the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, God. I mean, I'm going to say the Blazers win, but if you want to talk about like back-and-forth heart uh, nail-biters – like the Pistons game was, I feel like this is going to be that type of game. Um, we're going to have, I think it's going to be, is it a, a, it'll be a big roller coaster game. Like you'll see multiple, I think 10 plus runs oh, absolutely. on both sides. Do you think it's a Zach Collins day to go against John Collins? Because what we've seen of Alfred Camino recently against powerful skilled big men is that those powerful skilled big men get absolutely fucking nuclear on them. Is Zach is this a Zach Collins day? I mean, John Collins had twenty one and six on only twelve shots. So, and that was the last time we played them. And it was oops all day. It was oops up. Like, dude, John Collins looked fantastic that game. Yeah, I would say what worries me most though is is Trey Young. I mean, we let him go for thirty points on only fifteen shots. Eight assists. I mean, he was running that offense. That pick and roll was fantastic. I would love to see what type of defense the Blazers cook up against him. Maybe put a longer player like Mo Harkless and let Dame maybe go up against Bembry or Prince, Prince or mm. or even Herder and just like mm. a guy that's not going to back down. Yeah, it, exactly. So this is a game the Blazers are going to really need their their bench. And especially is De- Dwayne Dedman back as well? I am not. I mean, I don't watch any Hawks basketball. I, I just see see the highlights on Twitter. I see. I check the box scores. I, I you know you know what they can do, but I don't know the ins and outs of you know. So Dwayne Dedman fucks up the the like the balance of scoring between everyone because he's actually good. Alex Len's kind of like a usage monster when he gets chance. Uh, so last game, Miles Plumley was out with knee pain. Uh, Alex Poitras, who's actually gotten legit minutes, he was from uh, Kentucky back in the day, and Omari, I'm too fat to be in the NBA. Spellman was also out for the game against the 76ers. Um, Dwayne Dedman's pretty nice. Uh, but it, I mean, you know who it is. It's it's Trey Young and John Collins. Uh, but. Dwayne playing limits Collins a little bit. Isn't it sad that it's March and you know eight root players on the Hawks team? It's pretty impressive. Um, I think the Blazers win. In oh yeah, they very, have to win. They they yes they have to win, but that doesn't mean they will. I think this is going to be a game that fucks with everyone's emotions. Um, really fast paced too. So see that's the thing. I think Portland needs to slow it down. Yeah, I, think I mean Atlanta. Let me look. But throughout the year, they were the number one team in pace. I would force Atlanta to play defense for twenty plus seconds on the shot clock. I would pick and roll them to death. Mm-hmm. I would attack the offensive glass. Get to the foul line. Ugly the game up. According to ESPN, they're tied for first in pace with the Sacramento Kings. So Blazers are the 18th, so mid-tier pace team. So they really have to, I think it's a uh, style of pace. Whoever style wins, you know, 
Atlanta still has ballers. Like Trey Young wants that rookie of the year. He's gonna play. So this team is tanking, but don't tell their players that. So yeah, I think pace is a really big deal in this matchup, especially. Yep. I think we have to defend Trey Young differently. We can't just put the same guy and I think you need to trap him a bit. I think you need to double him. Multiple looks. Uh, multiple looks. Make make him feel like a rookie out there because right now he is not hitting the rookie wall. He's running right right through it. And on the other end of the floor, it has to be a case of Damian Lillard is just better than everybody else. That's mm-hmm. how the Rockets are winning these road games is James Harden is going off. Mm-hmm. I think we just have to have Damian. And Trey Young's awful defensively. Yeah, we like, need there's to make- a reason they are the worst team at defending point guards, and CJ McCollum got a triple double against this team. They suck ass at de- defending point guards. We're gonna so- need Dame to, to do the damn thing. Uh, Blazers win. Up next would be the Detroit Pistons, a team we we just saw. Sage, what would you do differently this Saturday compared to what we did last Saturday against the Pistons? I would. I think it might be a Zach Collins game because he's bulky enough to stay with Blake Griffin defensively. I wouldn't change much unless Reggie Jackson proves that he can score again. And then we change our defensive strategies to that Mo Harkless uh, defending Reggie. Because Reggie got a ceiling game against us. He has to prove that. He always does. He has to prove it again for me to change anything in my defense. He has to prove that he can do it again. And if he can, then we switch really quick. But I would start out like, obviously, I mean, he's starting, but I would definitely be quick to put Zach Collins in and then just for make Blake Griffin's life a living hell and just Reggie Jackson's not that good. He's not going to have the ceiling game again, I hope. Whoever is guarding Bruce Brown needs to act as a de facto center fielder mm-hmm. and give jump him the, the passing tr- lanes, uh, double Allen. the basketball, help out. Uh, I think we need to really play pressure defense. We cannot allow the Pistons to score 110 mm. points points again. And what would be interesting to see is putting Zach Collins on Blake Griffin, mm-hmm. like like we both discussed, and just just see what what's going to be. Um, I would be quicker than you to start Mo Harkless on Reggie Jackson. I think a player like Reggie is all confidence and like rhythm based. If he mm. sees he's, one, go- he's, he's the typical like irrational confidence player. Exactly, and I do. He is like the Jamal Crawford. I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. So, so you want to shut it down immediately? Shut so, it down. Immediately. So Dame's on Bruce. Yep. And what I would do? I am so sad that my boy Brucey is not uh, producing. He's, he, he's gobbling minutes, but he's not producing in the minutes he's gobbling. I would defend the three-point line. They got shooters now. Like none. Yes, they have. And hopefully they, they cool down a bit. Langston Galloway hit some that I didn't expect. Thon Maker's only 28% hit two of three. Lang rules. I really like Langston Galloway. Reggie hit two, or Reggie hit a bunch of threes. Blake, I know we're shooting a hot clip right now, but hit quite a bit as well. Um, you don't expect Andre Drummond to go seven for seven from the free throw line either. I still think it's a loss. Um, Detroit, Detroit should have beat us. We're mm-hmm. going to be on the second night of a back-to-back. It is a terrible matchup. I honestly don't think we'll see Zach Collins on Aminu. And I would be so thrilled to be wrong. But the Blake, Drummond, Reggie Jackson trio just it gives us fucking fits. You know what? I'm going to say we win this game, and it's a three. It's a three banger. So, a four banger. You four mean. banger. Whatever. Math sucks. 
Math is hard, man. I would say, I will say this. If we beat the Pistons, we will lose only one more game the rest of the season. Is it against the Nuggets at home? They're home? Yep. Yeah. That yeah. would be 54 wins. If, if we're able to have a 4-0 week this week, we will... And we could even beat that. Possibly, like that's Nuggets might already be like, oh, we're we're in first place, we can chill, or we're in second place, we can chill type mode. Yeah, you don't. Who who knows? But that's how important this week's slate of games are. And you're only playing two of the four teams with with 500 plus records, mm-hmm. so. You have to take advantage of the Bulls and the Hawks. You have to take advantage of the Brooklyn Nets in your own gym. And then you're going to see a team who really felt like they gave one away in the Detroit Pistons. And you're going to have to come with that that same energy on, on the second night of, of a back-to-back. So it's, it's going to be another fun week of basketball. We only got 10 of these left before the postseason starts. I believe the postseason is going to start on – on the 14th or 15th. Mm. So we're about, we're about three weeks away. Yeah. yeah. Three weeks away for postseason. So home court advantage is there. Mm-hmm. And the Blazers are playing really strong basketball. It's just going to be up to them what, what seed they want. So, you know, I've been doing a little bit of the math and looking at the standings. Obviously, we have the tiebreaker against the Clippers, which is why I'm kind of encouraging them to win a little bit because it increases the chances we do see them in the postseason. Uh, but we're up four games on the Spurs in the loss column, up three on the Jazz and the Thunder. If we could get one more loss from the Thunder and the Jazz, if the Blazers go seven and three the rest of the way, is that what you're predicting? I'm just saying I would I mm. I, I would feel comfortable at seven and three given the schedule. But a seven and three stretch allows you to have a hiccup against the Hawks or the Pistons or. The Timberwolves or or whoever. I mean, knock on wood, hopefully we just blow all those, you know, bastards out of the water. But to me, I, I'm I'm settled. I'm kind of locked in on home court advantage or or bust mm-hmm. at the moment. I don't know if we're gonna catch Houston the way Harden is playing. I mean, right now we would have the tiebreaker, but we'd have to win two more games to get to get to that mm-hmm. exactly even record. So, you know, I looked at Houston's schedule the rest of the way and it's it's not super difficult either so it, it's gonna be tough but just just gotta keep winning baby mm. and so i think seven and three i would in, in, in seven and three again that would mean you're only asking for one thunder and one jazz loss yes utah has the easiest schedule down the stretch but okc has the hardest so mm. you can almost expect okc to lose one more if you can just get one more loss out of the jazz you're feeling feeling really good. All right. Um, if you fuck with Holy Backboard, honestly, like and subscribe and five star us. And for my birthday, leave us a nice message on uh, iTunes. Comment a nice message, something that will make me happy. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Google Play. Uh, all of the podcatching apps fuck with us and if you're listening right now you, you're a real one so uh, thank you for listening and we'll be back next week
Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.